Okay, we are in the book of Galatians. Um, and I've titled this, The Man, the Message, and the Manner. And I've titled it that because that's the way the book kind of divides out in two chapters each. The first two chapters are about the man, Paul. The second two chapters are about the message, the gospel. And then the last two chapters are about our manner of life. How then shall we live? Um, I've also talked about thought about galloping through Galatians. I thought about that. I thought about the gospel in Galatians. That's probably a better one. But I subtitled this one, The Rest of the Story. Now, does anybody know where that came from? Paul Harvey. If you don't know who Paul Harvey was, he was a, a, a radio announcer. He had his own programs on ABC for many, many years. He's a, a World War II veteran, um, and especially on Saturdays. If you tuned in to Paul Harvey's show, it was called The Rest of the Story. And he would give you part of the story. And then conveniently, they would go to a commercial break. And then he would tell you the rest of the story. The rest of the story. And he would always end his broadcast with, good day. Good day. Yeah. So we're going to get a little bit of the rest of the story this morning in this passage of Scripture. The rest of the story deals with Paul's conversion. And if you have time, you go to Acts chapter 9, and you learn about this conversion, about this man who was vehemently against Christians. He's, he's known as Saul, and he is even, he's on his way to Damascus to persecute some more Christians, to throw them into jail, to see them stoned. He, that is his mission on that road. But while he's on the road to Damascus, Jesus meets him. Knocks him off his steed, blinds him, and, 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 and he turns and he, he recognizes that it, this is Jesus, the Messiah. And so we'll get a little more of the rest of the story today about that event. Um, in this passage of scripture, the gospel is mentioned many times again. Many times again. Last week when we looked at our section, we saw that it was mentioned seven times. Well, many times again. The gospel is mentioned. And last one, Paul's soapbox. Paul's main message through the whole book of Galatians, if you don't take anything else from it, is Christ alone. Not Christ plus something. It is just Christ alone and him alone. So let's go to the passage of scripture this morning. We're starting at verse 11. Starting at verse 11. He says, I want you to know, brother, I want you to know, brothers. Now, I stopped right there because that phrase is just like the phrase when we, when we enter a courtroom and you have to give a testimony. And you raise your hand and you say, I, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's kind of the weight of that phrase. I want you to know, brothers. If you jump down to verse 20, you'll notice that phraseology, I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. I want you to know, and I want you to know that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. Probably in your scriptures, if you just flip back a couple in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, this is just another example of him using this phrase. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. So this is something very, very important he wants them to know. Then what does he want them to know? Back to our passage. 
that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. That's what he wants them to know. It's not man made up. And what is the gospel? Well, the gospel, all we have to do is refer back up to verses 3, 4, and 5. The gospel is this, that grace and peace has come to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. How did it come to you? Who gave himself. He gave his very self. For what? For our sins. That's what we brought to the table. Our sins. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. So that we know and not spend an eternity in hell. That we would not experience the wrath of God. That we would be justified before our Heavenly Father. Okay? According, and this is according to whose will? Not my will. But to the will of our God and Father. It's His plan. It's His plan. And to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the gospel. That's what He wants to make sure that they know. This is the gospel. Verse 12. Verse 12. Every time He says it, it's the gospel. So it says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. I could read it this way. I did not receive the gospel from any man, nor was I taught the gospel. Rather, I received the gospel by revelation from Jesus Christ. Three times. There's also this phraseology that I pointed out before. He says not, then he says nor, and then he says rather. So a negative, a negative, two negatives times together is a positive, positives from algebra, right? Verse 1, you'll see it again. We saw this. Paul, an apostle, sent not from man, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and the God and Father who raised him from the dead. This is a, it's a, it's a phraseology, again, that they would use to make a point. Probably the most um, famous one is in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. And when I read this, you'll, you'll recognize it. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Here it comes. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So we have that saying, I'm, it's not coming from man. I was not taught this. Where did this gospel come from? He says, I want you to know it came by revelation from Jesus Christ. It came directly from Jesus Christ. That word for revelation means to uncover. It means to make known that it is Jesus who uncovered it. It is Jesus who made it known to me what the gospel is. Verse 13 he goes and he says, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. He's talking about before he was saved, what he was like. And as Paul's previous life was all about persecution. It was all about persecution. I couldn't help when I read that passage to remember Jesus' words, who when he's talking about the church, he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, the gates. So Paul is on a mission that is going to fail. He's on a mission that's going to fail by Jesus' very words. Then if we go to verse 14, he goes a little bit farther. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews, 
of my own age. And you stop right there. So Paul was gifted. <laughs> Paul was, Paul was, Paul was uh, on the fast track. He was on the fast track. I, 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 was, I was so far ahead of my Jewish friends in this. And then he says, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of the Father. So Paul's life, as he describes it, was all about persecution before he knew Christ. It was all about persecution, and it was all about the traditions of the fathers. That's what it was about. Now, what did Jesus think about the traditions of the fathers? So I thought, well, let's go back to some of his words. In Mark chapter 7, we have this scenario that Jesus is in, starting in verse 3. It describes it. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why do your disciples live why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Here's Jesus' response. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rule taught by men. And then he puts a cherry on the top here. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding to the traditions of men. What did Jesus think about the traditions of men? Right? Not very high. So when you look at both of these, Paul is on this road of persecution. Paul has got this focus of the tradition of men. I, I put down here, he's on the wrong side of the fence. He's on the wrong side of history in relationship to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was one who gave up his life in persecution for others. And Jesus Christ was one who held so tightly to the commandments of God. You can, you can just start to see that this Paul was doomed. He was doomed the way he was going. Verse 15, it says, so we're back to our passage. Verse 15, but when God, but when God, that's probably one of the biggest buts in the Bible right there. Okay, I always circle but when I come into it in the Bible. I always circle, because it's really important. But when God, it's kind of like in the, so in the beginning, in the beginning of what? That next word is so important. God. God created the heavens and the earth. Same way here. He's telling you his life was that of persecution and traditions of the elders. And then he says, but when, but when what? But when God stepped into the picture. When God stepped into the picture, and this is the way he describes it. Now, before I read these, I want you to remember, okay, he's come to faith in Christ. And now he's looking back at this. He's reflecting back now onto the Damascus Road when the Lord met him. And he's had time to be with the Lord and think through this and everything. And this is how he describes it now. He may not have described it at that moment in time, but this is how he describes it now. But when God, who set me apart from birth, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. 
and I'll stop right there. Look at, I don't think we realize this when we first get saved. When you first come to know Christ as your Savior, you don't realize this yet. It's, it's, mostly, it's all about you, and this guilt has been lifted from you, and, and, and you know you have a Savior, and, and, and you know that you're justified before God, and there's a heavenly home, and there's a, there's a huge relief you know, that happens at that moment in time. I don't think you grasp what Paul just has now grasped. He said it was, now looking back, it was God who set Paul apart from birth. He says, I, I realized that you had a plan for me from the very beginning. I realize that now, from thy very birth. It was God who called Paul by his grace. And the only reason I have this is because of the grace of God. It was God who was pleased to reveal his son in Paul. It was God who made that happen so that I would be able to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And then God's salvation to Paul had a purpose to proclaim. That the reason I was saved, Paul speaking, the reason I was saved was to be able to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. Um, Paul is saying, I recognize God's place in my physical birth. I also recognize God's place in my spiritual birth. In my spiritual birth. And one more thing before I go to the next slide is, he realizes that there was a purpose he was saved. And I think right at the start, we don't realize that. Later on, hopefully it sinks in. That the reason, if you are saved, the reason you have been saved is not for yourself. The reason you have been saved is to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. That's why you've been saved. I, I've heard people say, you know, I get, my, my faith is kind of personal to me. And that no, it's, that's nowhere in the Bible. Like, I just keep it under wraps. Ah, that's nowhere in the Bible. You have been saved to proclaim Jesus as Lord. That's why you were saved. Another example of this, which is kind of funny, um, is I do premarital counseling, you know, before a wedding and stuff like that. And here's the bride and the groom are coming in and oh, they're all giggly, looking at each other. And, oh, you know, and, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, they think it's all about them. They think this is all about them. That this whole day is all about that. And we kind of play into it. We wear special clothing. People stand up when the bride comes down. You know, it looks like it's all about them. But later on, if you're a Christian and you read the scriptures, you realize, ah, it's not all about us. Our marriage is not about us. By scripture, it's that we are a representative of God's love for his bride. And then we are a physical representative of that to the world of how much God loves his bride. That's what it's there for. And so some Paul is realizing this now. Paul is realizing that, wait a minute, I, I didn't get saved just to be saved. No, I got, man, Jesus, God knew it from my, the beginning, from my birth. He, 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 and, and now I've got this purpose to proclaim to him. People are always looking for God's will. I'm getting off on a tangent. People are always looking for God's, I want to know God's will for my life. Well, and, and usually what they mean is the specific will for, for your life. You, 
you know, that, that right down to the penny kind of thing. But I can tell you God's general will for your life. God's general will for your life, if you're a Christian, is to proclaim him to the world that he is Lord. And I can almost guarantee you, you're not going to find the specific will that God has for your life unless you're following the general will for his life. If you're expecting him to answer that specific God's will for your life, but you aren't doing the general will for his life of being an ambassador of him to this world, yeah, it doesn't work that way. If you want to know a specific will, be doing his general will. Oh, that was a rabbit trail. 16b. 16b, the second half of that. So I might prank you against, uh, among the Gentiles. Here's the phrase again. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but... I went immediately to Arabia and re later returned to Damascus. So we here we have it again, a negative, negative, and a positive. And, and he talks about, this is a little bit of the rest of the story. He says, I went into Arabia. I went into Arabia. Now, Arabia is a large piece of land. Uh, he's in Damascus, about 135 miles north of, of Jerusalem. And if you go east of Damascus, you'll get into the area of Arabia. And that Arabia follows all the way down below Jerusalem, all the way into the Sinai Peninsula. Okay, so in chapter four, verse twenty-five, we'll read about it again when he talks about Hagar and he talks about Mount Sinai and he talks about it being in Arabia. So this this is a large man landmass that's there. And here's where we get a little bit of the rest of the story because I always thought growing up, you know, he got converted on the road to Damascus, and then he just Headed down to Jerusalem, you know, and saw all the people there. But if we go to chapter, I'll go to chapter 9, starting at verse 17. I'll pick up the story. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, who's also Paul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell off Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues, Jesus is the Son of God. That's, that's major. He was persecuting people who were saying that, and now he is the one definitively saying Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. It goes on to say, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man that raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving, by proving that Jesus is the Christ. So he was going back through the scriptures and going back through the Old Testament that he was so well versed on. So there's Jesus, there's Jesus, there, that points to Jesus, that points to Jesus. And, and proving that Jesus is the Christ. goes on. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. That's not out of order because that's what they did with Jesus. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, he, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the opening in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, I'll stop right there because I want to go to the next passage of Scripture. Verse 18. 
back in our passage. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. See, here's the rest of the story, is that there's this whole three years of northern ministry. So when Peter did, or when Paul, Paul gets saved, the scales fall off. He has three years where he's in Damascus and in Arabia. And during that time, there's three whole years here where he is doing this northern ministry before he heads to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he spends 15 days with Peter. And the words mean he was actually with him, in front of him, uh, talking with him, conversing with him. He spent 15 days with Peter. We go to the next verse, verse 19. And it says, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So we're not only tracking Paul's movement, but we're also his personal acquaintances. Now this is going to be important in sermons that are coming up. He's laying out, he wants you to know where he was. I was up here for a while. Three years. And then I came down here. And then he wants you to know who I saw while I was down here. He wants you to know who they are. Verse 20. I assure you before God that I am what I am writing to you is no lie. And so he, he makes this point that he sees Peter and he sees James. Makes a point that it's James, the half-brother of Jesus. So this is not James, the disciple. And, and later, and we'll see this. James is one of the pillars of the Jerusalem Christian church. In verse 20, he goes back to verse 11 and says, hey, I want you to know, I'm not lying about this. And I, what I see here, what Paul is doing, he's letting his yes be yes and his no be no. That's what he's doing. He's saying, I want you to know where I was, who I met. Now, all of this feeds into future sermons. Verse 21, he continues on. Later I went to Syria, uh, Syria and Sicily. He went back north again. And when he goes back north again, after meeting with Peter for 15 days, he starts this whole northern ministry. His hometown is Tarshish. It gets, it, it's, it's, the news is spreading about the Gentiles that are coming to faith. That the people down in Jerusalem say, hey, we better send somebody up there to check it out. And so they send Barnabas. And Barnabas comes up to meet with Paul. And they go on this first whole missionary journey that's heading out. Now we go to verse 22. Paul continues to say, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Personally unknown. I was not known by sight by the churches in the south. So the southern Christian churches never met Paul. What he's doing is he's laying out an argument here. He's laying out his plans, where he was, who he was with, how much time he was with them. And also he lays out who never saw him. These people in the south never saw him. Then he, one more, uh, but what did they know? Verse 23, and they only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Paul's transformation has made the news. You know, it's in the Jerusalem Gazette. It's uh, on 60 Minutes. Um, it's, it's gotten around. 
And what's gotten around is his transformation. And he's went from verse 13, where he's trying to destroy the church, to verse 23 now, who is now preaching the faith of the church. And so he went from destruction to proclamation. And that's the news that's getting out in these southern churches. Verse 24. And they praise God because of him. Their initial response to getting this news of someone they never met, but they're getting this news that in the north, the gospel is being preached. Their initial response was praise. Now, all that information I want you to hold on to for next week, okay? But I want to go back to the gospel. Because in the first sermon I did, in the first section, he gave us the gospel. In the second sermon I did, he, we found out that that's what Paul is standing on. His soapbox is the gospel. Now, in this passage of scripture, he does it one more time. But he relates it to himself. And he says, the gospel has touched me. And I'll go down these quickly. First off, God did it. 15a and 16a, but when God. He points to the gospel and he says, that salvation came to me because of God. He, he was pleased to reveal. Not only did God did it, but he did it by his grace. I have this gospel. I have this salvation because of the grace of God. God did it through Christ. 16a, his son in me. This salvation has come to me through the Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth one, God did it for the sake of others. That I was saved that I might Preach him among the Gentiles. And then the fifth one, God did it for his glory. It was for his glory. People were praising God in verse 24. Now, as I said before, when we speak of the gospel, we speak to two groups of people. Those that are saved and those that are unsaved. And every Sunday I pray that those who are not saved, that their eyes would be opened by God, that their heart would be warmed, that they, they would their ears would hear for the very first time the gospel. Because you could hear it many times over and over and over and over again, but it doesn't sink in until God does it. And God opens up your eyes to see that he is the Christ. And he died on that cross for your sins. And because of that, you respond with repentance. You respond with obedience. You respond by denying yourself, realizing it's not about you anymore. You take up the cross. You take up your salvation every day. And you follow after him. You follow after him. So every Sunday, I pray that God would open up the ears and open up the eyes. That there would be people like Paul that said, God did it. And God did it by grace. And God did it through Christ. And God did it for the sake of others. But I also speak the gospel in the sense for us who are saved. Because those of us who are saved can, as we relate to Galatians, can so easily sway. We can sway away from the gospel. We can sway away and make our gospel something like, Yes, I'm saved, but I need to do these other things to make sure that I'm a good Christian or that I might get to heaven. 
I, I know he says I'm saved and I'll get to heaven, but I, I think there's other things that we need to do or we got to have in place. So that just kind of guarantees we'll make it kind of thing. It's so easy for us as Christians to sway from the pure gospel. And so we need to remember that God did it. We need to be reminded that it was by his grace, not by our efforts at all. It's all by the grace of God. We need to remember that it was, did, it was done through Christ. He is the one who sacrificed himself so that we might have righteous, his righteousness put upon us. That God did it for the sake of others. We, we're so selfish. And we think of even our salvation so selfishly. That when we have the opportunity to share our faith with someone else, that we don't do it. But you are saved to proclaim. And we need to remember that it was for his glory, not for our glory. Not for our glory. It's all for his glory. So the unsaved need to hear the gospel. Maybe for the very first time, God opened up their ears and their eyes. And the saved need to hear the gospel. Over and over again, because we can so easily sway, so that we can we can say really truly, all glory be to Christ our King, all glory be to Christ, all to Him, I surrender. Would you stand with us? Worship team's coming back up. We're going to sing our final song and to be dismissed to coffee and cookies and to and to come for more classes. Um, I'm starting one on Bible leader, biblical leadership in the library. If you're not going to a specific class, jump in on that one. What's it, what's it mean to be a leader in, of, uh, in the church, um, according to the scriptures? But Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We realize as we go through the books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, that these letters unfold, and Paul is unfolding for his readers and for us, uh, a specific reason why he is laying out his movements and who he had seen and, 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 and where he was and who he hadn't seen. Um, but even in this passage, Lord, he gives all glory to you for his own salvation. He, he, wants, he wants them to know above anything and everything else, the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, as I do every Sunday, that there are people here that maybe this was the very first time they ever heard the gospel. Even though they may have been in church many, many, many years, many times, they heard the gospel this morning that God sent his son. And he sent him for you. And I pray that they would respond in repentance and they would respond with, with submission and following after you all the days of their life. They, they immerse themselves in this one named Jesus. And they would join us, Lord, who are saved, in being proclaimers. Proclaimers of you. So that others would also praise you. We ask your blessing upon these words this day in thy precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing to him.